and it's allowed me to shamelessly plug it like 18 times during the weekend. So it's good to see that you guys came out. Very excited. We've got a full house and an excellent crew. And without further ado, let's do some introductions of the panelists here. Is that actually showing up there? I can't see anything. Okay. All right, Janine. <gasps> it's me. Hi, I'm Janine Spenlev. Um, I am, as you can see, a C-130 pilot in the United States Marine Corps. Um, thank you. I've been in since 2000, so I'm old lady, according to my Marines. And um, I also am a writer. I've written some novels that you've probably never heard of. And then I also recently wrote a short story for Star Wars titled In Brief. It's the prequel to the Battlefront novel that it's came out. Canon. It is canon. I, I wrote Star Wars canon. Yes. I'm kind of excited about that. Anyway. So, um, yeah. So I guess that's why I'm on this panel. Hey. All right. Is Tom here? Right on the Tom. end. Tom. You're up. My name is Tom Hutchins. I'm the founder of the Mandalorian Mercs. I'm also a United States Navy Submariner veteran. Um, I've known most of these guys here. I think we've done panels all weekend. So it's a... Uh, it's Tom and nice I are, are panel siblings. We are. We're panel <laughs> From siblings. From like different, multiple cons. Multiple cons, mostly in North Carolina. So it's, it's like, Janine, we're on another panel together. All right. Next up, Bethany. Hello, hello. I'm Bethany Blanton. I'm an Air Force ROTC cadet and a political science major. And definitely not as qualified as Tom or Janine to be talking about these topics. No, you totally are. But I'm super excited. I also do work for the StarWarsReport.com. Next up, John. Hi, I'm John Liang. Um, I'm neither a current, former, or future <laughs> member of the military, um, but I, I am a Star Wars fan. I watched saw the first uh, A New Hope when it first came out in 1977, and w which terrified me until I saw actually read the novelization two years later, and that's when I became a real a real fan. Um, IRL. I'm actually a journalist, and I've been covering the Pentagon for the last 20 years, so I kind of know a little bit about the military. Just a little bit, and particularly how about how the military spends its money. <laughs> Very well is the answer there. Very efficiently, there's no waste. <laughs> oh, never, never. That's a whole other panel. We could talk about why inefficient is actually better in some ways. The parallel. I mean, we could always implement taxation of trade routes. spending. Riley. And on that note, hey, I'm Riley. Um, <laughs> now I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, StarWarsReport.com. Uh, I am another Blanton. I am another Air Force ROTC cadet. And I'm another, now there are two of them. I totally stole your thunder. <laughs> uh, political science major. And uh, yeah, I'm an absolute longtime Star Wars and political nerd. Uh, talk, talk about just an amazing year to be a Star Wars fan and an even more amazing year to be a political nerd. So, amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, Glad easy. you guys came out. Yeah, it is one word for it. And uh, I'm Tom Harper, so I, I appreciate you guys coming out. I'll be leading us through this fire swamp discussion here. I'm a captain in the U.S. Army, so sort of like Janine. Oh, I think it's ma'am, actually. Ma'am, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's a major, remember? I haven't achieved that rank yet. Um, my, my favorable opinions about the dark side are not necessarily the opinions of the Army that I might express. <laughs> I can't speak for the Marine Corps, but... Uh, the Army is very good. Uh, no, I'm a JAG officer, so my day-to-day my -day job is a criminal defense attorney. So Finn is going to get court-martialed, and he can come to me when he needs defense. So that's that's fine. Um, actually, from as, as it relates to this panel, I advised on rules of engagement and the uh, law of war in Afghanistan for uh, Joint Task Force 3, which was comprised of full-spectrum uh, U.S. troops ranging from you know standard infantry to special forces, 
Uh, Australians, British, Slovaks, we had the whole nine yards. You throw a dart at the map, and we had troops from that country and uh, helped advise them. I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that one week ago, I got married. Uh, where's my wife, Marissa? She's somewhere in here, I think. She's over there. We did have lightsabers at the wedding. So she's like turning beet red as I have this up here. Uh, all right, so, so let's get this started. So I, I want to set the ground rules because I know this is going to be a topic that a lot of people want to weigh in on. And I want to promise you that we're dedicating a solid chunk of time at the end to talk about stuff. And I'm willing to cut a section off the end to, to let some more fan discussion happen uh, if it looks like we're heading in that way. But basically, we're going to kind of work backwards in time. We're going to talk a little bit about The Force Awakens, uh, kind of dive into that, uh, get into the First Order, uh, the Resistance, that sort of stuff. We're going to backtrack a little bit how that all got set up. And then if we've got time and there's uh, a lack of discussion, we'll take a look at Rogue One and what's going on with that. But I want to start with The Force Awakens and really... What, what the heck? Starkiller Base. Guys, what was... What, what's up with this? History is doomed to repeat itself? <laughs> Definition of insanity? Some engineer somewhere just, just thought to himself, I know. <laughs> you know what would be amazing is like, no, we don't build a planet. We just build it on a planet. <laughs> it's totally different this time. Nothing bad will happen. It's like Zoolander, the gun is in the planet. <laughs> so what, I, what, I, what I'm interested from you guys is... Is this a tired trope, or is this is there a way to, to make an argument that this was some sort of sound military strategy? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really trying hard here to think of like a devil's advocate argument. It's, I, I'm, no, I can't. Come I, on I'll, with I'll play devil's advocate. So, in my opinion, we're, we're, we've got the first order, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, you know how they rose to power and sort of what what enabled them to. Uh, a massive military force, but look at what they're look at what they're up against. Uh, they're up against the New Republic, so they've got a reduced size fleet that's a fraction of the size of what the uh, you know the Imperial Navy was at its height. But it's amassed. You've got a central system that's uh, unified the galaxy over the last thirty years. That's a hard target to defeat with a conventional military weapon, just going in with a fleet, right? So what better way? than to build a world killer that maybe you only get one shot off with it, but that one shot destroys not just the seat of government, but the entire fleet that's, that the Republic has hinged uh, its protection on, because the Resistance doesn't have a fleet, right? So uh, I, does that make sense? Am I just off the I feel like I, I feel like the, the captain is, is submitting his defense to the jury right here. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think this goes fundamentally to the... The, the more core question of the themes within, and we don't have time to get into the details of it, but broadly speaking, the themes of The Force Awakens and how familiar they are. And I'm someone who strongly defends the idea of uh, leaning on familiar favorite elements of what we love about the original trilogy. So I think certainly a super weapon may seem repetitive, but the way it was executed for me as a story element, I really liked. There may have been some like editing issues that I had with the film itself, but um, I'll go with Genial Genius. Janine, not... from, a, from a writing standpoint, does this make any sense? Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, I don't even know where to start talking about tactically whether this is good or bad. Or I think we could spend the entire panel on that. But from a storytelling writing perspective, we look at Star Wars and you know it, it is filled with a ton of tropes. It always has been. Um, what it, I think The Force Awakens, what, what J.J. did really well with The Force Awakens 
is he flipped a lot of the tropes on their head. And it's okay to go over the same ground so long as you acknowledge it. And from a writing perspective, having the movie go, this was the Death Star, this is Starkiller Base, and having, okay, so we've acknowledged it, but then they acknowledge it again and kind of make it a joke inside the movie by having Han Solo say, yeah, but there's got to be a way to blow it up. There always there's is. Always like, come on. I mean, we've done this a, a bajillion times. And, it's, and at that point, at that point, it worked. And it was great. So as for whether the base itself is genius or not, from a storytelling, from a writing perspective, we got a lot of comfort. Okay, this is territory that we know. Now, do we want to see this come up again? I kind of don't, but I'm also willing, I'm willing to remain open-minded, you know? That's why I'm hoping uh, episode eight is, hopefully goes in a completely different direction. It's going to be, it's, spoiler alert, it's uh, Rise of the Starkiller Base again. That's going to be the subtitle <laughs> of this base. You mean that's not going to be the third movie? <laughs> okay, Return so of the Starkiller. I feel like maybe you could make an argument from the First Order's perspective saying, you know what, we saw the Death Star, both Death Stars being done, and they had flaws. Here's what we can do to fix it. Because every generation wants to do better than their parents. Yeah. It's that engineer. He's sitting down there. Grandfather? <laughs> no, and I think I, one thing that struck me watching the movie, and this is like diving like way, like maybe a little too deep, but uh, so Hux is the one, General Hux is the one that goes to Snoke and, you know, in a whiny way, proposes that they use the weapon finally. Uh, you know, he's ready and rearing to use this military weapon that they've clearly put together uh, over a great period of time. Snoke's just sort of like, proceed. Like, I, I don't, he's not even on, I, to, to, as far as what we know, he's not even on the base. And I think that says a lot about the value that he puts in that weapon as a tool. I, I think it's a, a means to an end. It's a sort of like a match. They're going to light the match. It doesn't matter that the, uh, that the base gets destroyed in the end. They've achieved their objective by just totally causing chaos and injecting uh, a serious amount of that into the galaxy. And then... That primes the rest of their fleet, which it didn't look like surrounded the base anyhow, to, to go ahead and take action. That's a good segue to the next discussion. I think something that a lot of people wanted to talk about is this conflict between the First Order and the Resistance. Because we really don't get a lot uh, going into to the movie. We get uh, some snippets, but it left a lot of people with questions. So a, a question that I have for you guys is you've got the First Order, the Republic, the Resistance, a lot of head scratching that's going on. This first order, are we dealing with a legitimate government here? I mean, what's what what space does it occupy? What what legitimacy does it have, if any? Well, it's a it's a remnant of the empire, so it's it's more than likely it's made up of of, of worlds that were imperial. That you know, Snoke, being a warlord himself, in, in a sense, um, I think that that would probably be your core. I mean, that's going to be your core of what the first order is. Then you've got your resistance, which kind of mimics sort of the way things work sometimes here in the real world where you've got, you know, you've got this military band that the larger military or the larger nation or whatever kind of, uh, they back them up, but they don't want to get involved, you know. So I think there's definitely a lot of parallels there with, you know, when you look at it from today's perspective. And, and you bring up a good point and a question I want to ask you guys. So Bloodline, kind of the, the novel by Claudia Gray, hinted at the fact that some uh, republic systems might be leaning towards joining the First Order. I, does that 
I don't know whether that's happened by the time The Force Awakens rolls around. Does that give them any more justification to do what they've done? Well, I thought, um, unless I read Bloodlines wrong, and maybe I did, please correct me, but I thought that the end of Bloodlines, what happened is we, we did have a divergence, and we saw systems leaving to go form the First Order, and they did become a legitimate government separate from the Republic. I mean... Did I read that wrong? Did anybody else read that differently? Please tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe I, I... It also sort of depends on what kind of alliances some of those systems had with the, either the FO or the, the alliance. I mean, maybe they had certain things that they were willing to trade with the First Order and the First Order giving them more money. And so yeah. went with them instead of someone else. So, yeah, I agree. They're a remnant of the Empire, but I, I think they're a legitimate government. Right, as exactly. As far as the politics of it goes. And, and that's in part because uh, they do get recognized to some degree by the Republic and by other systems as well. So in the real world, that happens with, uh, for example, South, Su- South Sudan was one of the most recent uh, countries to become a country and was recognized by other legitimate governments. So you have sort of a, we're a legitimate government recognizing you and thus you're, you're becoming a legitimate government, which is kind of an odd way to do things. But I feel like the First Order has a fair amount of that inside the universe. And that's nothing new that we've seen in Star Wars either because after, you know, I mean, we saw that in Legends. There was an Imperial Remnant in Legends that was its own part of the galaxy. So and it functioned as a government. So where does that leave the Resistance? What standing does it have to, to do any of its operations within the galaxy? I mean, is it a le- I mean, I, you know, I've... This is a stretch, but, uh, I mean, is this like a, a Taliban-type organization running around the galaxy just doing it? <laughs> Not, I'm not comparing ideologies. I'm comparing uh, sort of the, the splinterness, splinter faction nature of it. I mean, do they have any standing to do what they're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the different definitions of uh, what would be considered, and we, and here's the problem: we don't know exactly what the resistance did up to the Force Awakens. We we have hints and we have yeah. ideas, but we don't know if they were going into to First Order systems and whatnot and blowing stuff up. We don't know. We don't know if all they were doing was building up, is gathering intel and passing it on to the New Republic. We don't know. So we to, to can't really classify them as like a, a terrorist organization when we don't know if they were actually committing what the, what the New Order would constitute a terrorist act. But we also don't know what exactly they're doing because we're still finding that stuff out. So if anything, I would classify them as OGA, other government agency, except for they're not really a government agency. It's this person who had a supreme amount of political power and influence, Princess Leia, who went off and kind of formed her own paramilitary group. That's really kind of what they are. And I think it's important to recognize broadly because a lot of this, the, the tough thing about talking about this element of The Force Awakens is that it's, it's kind of not there. Uh, and I think that's intentional. Oh, Check, check. It's kind of intentional, um, I think, in that the, the political themes are very limited, and you have to go into some of the uh, extra material, like the visual guides, to find out that the resistance isn't really recognized that much by the general republic, and that Leia does see the First Order as a threat, whereas the republic is just kind of like, well, they're minding their own business, let's leave them alone. And these are elements that are important to understand the political structure of The Force Awakens, but as a film, that's kind of wasn't the focus of it. And I, I think you bring up a good point, and this is a sort of a late addition, but I, I can find it. So we, uh, we've seen a little bit in the extra material uh, this business of a, a little more information about how the resistance is, is operating in terms of the First Order. You don't see as much of the, 
uh, talk about the Republic as far as the stuff that I've read, um, and, and feel free to chime in on it. But we do see a bit about how careful they're playing their cards when dealing with the First Order. It's clear that the First Order um, is rearming. They've got a, you know, the Resistance thinks they're a serious military threat. But how to deal with that threat is a, is a real important question. As we talk about rules of engagement, these are, you know, broadly uh, rules that are put in place to determine how you use force against an enemy, right, at, it, at its most basic concept. And they're there to achieve certain strategic objectives, and those can vary. And, you know, I want to ask you guys, what, what sort of, leading up to The Force Awakens, obviously things change after the, the Starkiller fires, but what sort of strategic objectives uh, does it appear? I, put yourself in the, in the boots, if you will, of a resistance military leader. What's your objective? Well, I, th I think we see one of the major differences between the resistance and the Republic is that uh, their objectives are very different. It's, it's actually almost exactly like the U.S. versus the EU uh, during the Cold War, where the EU is afraid of angering the Soviet Union into action because... Not the expanded universe. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good Political point. science nerds. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, so the European Union... out of the room. Uh, they suffered way more damage than the U.S. did during World War II, and they wanted to avoid that. So I see that as being like the Republic, where they really want to try to avoid another war with the First Order, whereas the Resistance is like, nope, this, I mean, this is a serious threat, this is what needs to happen in the galaxy, and we're going to be a lot more aggressive, and that was more like the uh, U.S. policy of trying to stop the spread of communism because they saw it as a far bigger threat than the European Union did. Also, the res resistance kept some, uh, a lot of its arms away from the capital, so away from Hosnian Prime. So if you think about it, kind of like uh, during World War II, at the start of World War II, when Yamamoto wanted to wipe out the, the entire US military f fleet, uh, he did in Pearl Harbor, but all, a lot of the carriers, by pure chance, weren't there. And that's what allowed them to, that's what allowed the U.S. to essentially defeat the Japanese later on, after at least until they started getting their war machine built up again. And a lot of Marines. And a, and a lot of Not Marines. Not to forget. Yeah, a lot of Marines as well. But you kind of wonder, okay, this, the, these weapons are away from them, are away from the capital, so that they, in case something were to happen, they still have something on them that they can use. And I think we see, how many folks have read uh, the, the Poe Dameron comic that's in its like fifth issue so far? Okay, so a few. You guys ought to check it out. But I, I was reading it the other day, like the third or fourth issue, something like that. And something struck me because the, the resistance is in a very unique position. Because if they go out and attack the First Order, who does that bring, you know, combat upon? Probably the entire galaxy, right? And, and potentially them as well. And, and that could be a problem. And I... This is going to be a little hard for everybody to see, but there's a sequence in uh, in the Poe Dameron comic that I'll kind of describe to you. So Poe is on his search for Lor Santeca, the, the old man at the beginning of The Force Awakens. And while he's investigating this, some First Order troops show up to try to disrupt his, uh, his operations. Now, up above uh, this cave where Poe is in, and this is real hard to see, so don't, don't worry about it. I will... What's that? Well, so Poe's got his black squadron that's, uh, you know, uh, flying a combat air patrol above, protecting him. But it's only like four fighters. First Order shows up, and uh, the pilots talk about over their comms, hey, 
we can't fire on the first order unless they fire on us. Those are the rules of engagement, right? And one of the pilots who actually flew, uh, coincidentally, with Poe's mother in the uh, Battle of Endor, actually makes a strafing run to try to bait them into attacking. And the First Order pilots are like, like whatever. He comes back around and fires his cannons, uh, and that gets the First Order ties scrambled. So they get into this skirmish, and Poe here has this interaction with the pilot who did it that talks about the importance of uh, the rules of engagement here. And I... Maybe I'm wrong. I might have missed something. I have never, ever seen a reference to rules of engagement in any kind of Star Wars medium, and it was really cool to see it in this instance. Poe's lecturing uh, the pilot about, uh, you know, why he did it, that he broke a rule. The pilot's like, yeah, I did it. I'd do it again because it helped achieve our mission. And Poe goes, hey, our job, we have a set job and set rules. These rules are here for a reason. If we break them and bait the First Order into attacking, it's going to bring a fight that we're not ready for. And I think you see that in the First Order, or in The Force Awakens, uh, because you've got a force that sort of has to act, but they don't have the, the kind of military like the First Order has. So, you know, originally you asked your the Resistance, what do you do after kind of this first skirmish? Um, honestly, survive. Exactly what they did. They go straight into survival mode, which is what the Rebellion did with the first Death Star, they go straight into survival mode because, and you illustrated it beautifully, so this is perfect timing. Because um, that's all you can do right now. Because up until this moment, they haven't had any legitimacy, they haven't had any real reason to exist other than, you know, the paranoid thoughts and inklings of a, you know, old woman now who has been completely, you know, relegated to the side for lying to everybody about, well, I'm, I'm not going to Spoiled book. But at any rate, um, she's lost. Spoiler sign is up. <laughs> yeah. So um, Leia has, you know, lost all real, you know, aside from people who are still her friends and believe in her, re remember her. I mean, she's really lost all credibility um, so at this point. But now suddenly they have it, but they're not ready for it. And, and so they just need to survive. And so I'm very curious to see where they're going to pick up with episode eight. Is this going to be yeah. five years later? Is this going to be six months later? Because um, that's really going to dictate kind of how big the resistance is and, and what it is at this point and what their relationship with the New Republic is and if the New Republic yeah. even exists anymore. Well, yeah, to be fair, she has credibility now. Like, now they know what the threat is. Yeah. And supposedly in, I forget where it was, on, if it was on StarWars.com or something, they, they said that uh, Episode 8 would essentially start right when Episode 7 ended. So... Yeah, that was confirmed at Celebration Europe yeah, on, the, on the panel there, yeah. And, they, it, and I don't know if that means that we get, like, the scene and then the flash forward or, or, or how that will go, but yeah. It's like a cool scene with Luke and Ray and then a real mm -hmm. downer on Dakar. And then <laughs> oh, man. We've got like six X-Wings left. <laughs> but I think, uh, John, you brought up a good point that, uh, you know, in terms of pure speculation here, you talked about the, the Pearl Harbor attack and how ships weren't there. I, you can see in that very brief scene in The Force Awakens, uh, fleet ships you know, capital ships above Hosnian Prime definitely get destroyed. We don't know whether that's the entire fleet. So, uh, you know, the odds that the, the New Republic's entire fleet is clustered all around the Hosnian systems, to me, it's a low probability. I think they've got some ships out there. <laughs> she says no. no Just the, saying, oh. I said yeah. No, oh, no, no. Uh, we've always got, when you look at our own military, I, you know, here in the States, we've got three 
uh, maritime three MIPSROMs, three maritime prepositioning yeah. forces that are That's around good. the world. Um, we've got three expedition marine expeditionary units at least out at all the time. So we've got these navy fleets with uh, you know marines on them, and they're all over the world. And so there there is no one place that you can attack in America to take out our military. You just can't. So that, it just is completely unfathomable for me to think that they could completely take out the New Republic like that. I know they took out five planets. It was five. And right? I'm sure, too, that they that they probably right. learned during the rebellion that... To keeping, disaggregate your forces. Yeah, keep yeah. your forces in different places. I mean, they had different fleets. You know, they had different rebel cells everywhere. They had different fleets everywhere. I'm sure they probably kept that line of thinking. Which is actually a really interesting, if you look at it historically, um, that used to be kind of the no, you don't ever split the fleet. You don't ever split the fleet. And that was something that had to be overcome. I think World War II is when we first really started. And because you couldn't overcome this culture of historical doctrine of you don't ever split the fleet, what we did is we created what was essentially a second fleet so that the old timers in the Navy could wrap their mind around it. And now we disaggregate the fleet all the time. Seven, I mean, the seventh fleet now? I I, yeah, now they're like never together, um, which is great because we don't have one single point of failure. Somewhere out there, there's like a 75-year-old John Burrell from Aftermath. He's like cane in hand, like frustily commanding some special forces unit. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting point. So I, one question that, uh, that really intrigued me, I was always a big fan of like the Imperial Navy, uh, their, their power, the Star It's like that Kylo Ren video, like spheres and angles. Like that's power. <laughs> Clearly, the, the, it looks like the First Order has evolved. Like what, what are some lessons that the First Order has, has learned, in your opinion, from uh, the past conflict? I mean, the white trim on the weapons is pretty cool. Like that's, <laughs> let's be honest. I think they've learned to back away when a very powerful force wielder is throwing a fit. Yeah, that's a good one. Just turn your little patrol around. Nope, troopers. I like those uh, special ops TIE fighters because before they could only fly, you had one pilot who has basically had to fly the ship as well as, you know, fly or fire the weapons. Now he's got a second gunner, so all the pilot has to do is worry about flying the ship and getting his, sh his uh, ship into position for the gunner to, to, kill, to shoot the other guy. Unless you're Finn and then you just miss. Yeah, miss yeah. Miss, <laughs> miss, mess everything up. No, and I think it's cool. The, the visual guide, if, if any of you guys have uh, picked that up, um, by Pablo Hidalgo, some of the little snippets that he puts in there, these ties have shield generators, mini hyperdrives in them now. Uh, the Stormtrooper core has been completely revamped, um, you know, with one exception, maybe the, the deserter. Um, so it's, it's clear that they've, I think, advanced. So the next, the next thing I wanted to talk about, and we've touched on it a little bit, is the destruction of the Republic. I can't tell how many. That would have been a good trivia question. Like, how many planets got blown up? I think it was up? five. I think it was like five. five. I don't have any prizes for that one. I'm sorry. So. I have pass-along cards. <laughs> She's prepared. Like, what will the next one be? So, you guys are, are Republic member systems. And uh, you get wind that this little event has happened. Um, does it sway your allegiance? Where do you go? I mean, is this going to be, is the, the destruction of the seat of power the end of the Republic as we know it? That completely depends on the politics of that system. Yep. Yep. Whether or not they're pacifists or if they have a, mil a military culture. How close their ties are. Is it an election season? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not no, being yeah, facetious. Yeah, I'm not yeah. being facetious. No, what kind of contingency plans also? There, there may be some sort of, of contingency plans. In the event something of this nature happened, I mean, how many super weapons have these have you know has the galaxy seen already? 
There could definitely be some kind of contingency plans. Yeah, like a space wall. We should build a space wall. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. I mean, uh, can they survive on their own? I mean, yeah. do they really even have an option? Some of these systems are not going to have an option. Like, well, we're, we're here. We cannot survive on our own, you know? So space really, it, the answer is it all depends. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag it. Space wall. <laughs> <laughs> so... A question I had, and we touched on it a little bit, is, uh, you know, the remaining systems in the Republic that don't, you know, for example, turn and join the, the uh, First Order or just go independent, um, the remaining military forces, how do they survive with the, the marshalling First Order fleet? And I, I think, Janine, you hit on this a little bit with your comment about surviving. Is that, you want me to talk more? No, 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 I think, you, I think you touched on it. I was acknowledging. Okay. I, I'm going to let other I mean, we we don't know how many systems might actually align with the First Order. You know, does the Resistance go full-on underground? We, we are like the Rebel Alliance was, where you're actually not that powerful uh, and you're on the run all the time. Or does the First Order's act outrage the galaxy into more unity and more militaristic action? So I, I think we honestly don't know enough to see which way it could go. Uh, but it it does seem like the the Republic has been obliterated. So I don't know what form unity could take. Well, and I think I think almost saying the Republic's been obliterated might be. I mean, the seat of power has been obliterated, but that doesn't obliterate the Republic itself. I mean, yeah. you still have the Republic. Fun. I mean, there's still some sort of function out there of the Republic. And now that they've seen what the First Order's done. They know that oh hey the big the big guns just been destroyed so what are we what do we have to fear maybe they fear the first first order less now because yeah. of that I mean yeah that's a good point and so I I, I want to roll a little bit backwards in time here and talk about this post Return of the Jedi period this period changed a lot between when Disney hit the reset button uh, and changed the EU into uh, the the Legends universe and we're still there's a huge swath of this period that's still being filled in. But we've, we have gotten some nuggets with the Aftermath books, with Bloodline, with some of the other materials. And uh, so I, I think things weren't too peachy for the, the uh, Republic, and, you know, in the wake of Return of the Jedi, like the party at Bright Tree Village might have indicated. And so, uh, you know, one comment that struck me during The Force Awakens was uh, Mon Mothma's character and how she's been portrayed in, uh, in the new canon material, she pushes for disarmament a lot. She wants to downsize, like greatly, greatly downsize the New Republic's military force. Was this the right call? What's your thoughts on uh, on this very quick push to, to get rid of a lot of military force? It's a bad call. Well, that's actually, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Um, that's a pretty standard um, thing to do. Uh, again, just speaking from a, an American military perspective, but you look look at history and, and try to look broader, but definitely at our own military, you've just gone through a galaxy-wide war. Um, people are tired of war. Aside from the symbolic, we're trying to demilitarize and to downsize. Um, that's, even though you keep a little bit of a standing military and you slowly downsize, by doing this, you're sending a message that we intend to be different than the Empire. We know things are going to be rough. Um, it's no different than what we saw when 
when we officially ended the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, we've been downsizing our own military. We did the same thing after the Gulf War. We did it, gosh dang, after World War yeah, II. Say, yeah. it, was, it was crazy the amount of, of demilitarization we did. This is absolutely normal. And I, I do believe the right call because if they kept a standing military, you're just basically exchanging one military, military-driven government for, for another. And they've got to show this. Perhaps it's a thing of timing, too, in the sense that, I mean, they, they had to make sure where the first order was and what, their, what the size of their military was. So if they knew, okay, these are, it's, a small rem, it's a small remnant, truly small remnant, then yeah, we can do it. But if, you, if you're starting to think, oh, no, there's still a whole bunch of warlords, whatever you want to call them out there, that may still have, like, ISB, Imperial Star Destroyers, with them that pack a big punch, you'd want to make sure you had at least something to be able to counteract them. Well, and that's why... That's why, given the situation, it has to be very measured. When we finished World War II, we had a whole bunch of, like, no kidding, people sat down in a room and signed truce agreements, like, we're done, we're not at war anymore. Whereas, at the end of the end of Iraq and Afghanistan, the, we didn't sign anything with anybody. So it's been a very slow measure. Okay, we're going to withdraw a little bit, and we're going to draw, draw a little bit more. And that's kind of where Mon Mothma has to go with this. Uh, somewhere in between, because there's really nobody for her to go sign anything with. There's just all these little contingents of, of the Empire. And as we see, she's trying to get this to happen. Yeah, she has to disarm, but she's got to do it carefully. Yes. Yeah. Is, is she reckless, or, or is New Republic leadership reckless? It, it seems like, uh, you know, in, in the various mediums, you're seeing the resistance or, or elements within the Republic try to bring them information about the First Order. Like, hey, 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 the, the, these guys are a threat. Are they ignoring it, or is there a strategy behind uh, this disarmament? I definitely have thoughts, but I feel like I'm talking a lot. I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Proceed. Again, from a political... So I, I also spent three years on Capitol Hill. I was um, the deputy director of the Marine Liaison Office. So What's I your heart? <laughs> I represented the Marine Corps uh, to Congress. So I, I dealt... I saw a lot of this stuff firsthand, um, politics at a higher level. And... Um, you have to be really careful about what you're willing to engage on because when you engage, you grant it legitimacy. So do they want to treat it like a real threat? Yes, but really they have to see, is it a real threat at first? And if we actually officially are looking at investigating it and treating it like a real thing, well, suddenly we've given it legitimacy and people who are on the fence as to whether they want to support the First Order or not, okay, now they're going to support the First Order because clearly if the New Republic thinks that they're a real threat, then they're a real thing. And so it's kind of this self-licking ice cream cone. <laughs> she's right. I've, I've covered Congress about twenty years. She's at, she's spot on. Hashtag self licking. You, you, you go defensive. Yeah. That's a really popular thing to say in the Pentagon because it happens all the time. It's it's why you got to go defensive. I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Space wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great. So so we also see so you've got this. Uh, that's on the military side, but you've also got some. I know I'm holding a lot, like, in. I have to be really careful. I, I can feel it just, like, vibrating <laughs> from you. Like, uh, just play we the... Can't, like, and you know, you know, we this can't... There's a lot of things that we can't say. This is true. My and wife's an ethics counselor. She's we have like, to be very clear that the things we do say do not represent yeah. our branch of service. They're just our personal opinions. I, I got a, a small pep talk before going in here from my wife, who's mm -hmm. an ethics counselor for the Army, <laughs> and she's... She advises generals on what to do and, more importantly, what not to do. 
and as and as much as we would like to, we are also not allowed to represent the other services on their behalf as much as we would want to sometimes. This is true. So no, I so that's the that's the military side of things, but we also get a, a peek into what's going on politically. Um, you know, twenty four years or so around the time of Bloodline. Um, after Return of the Jedi, again, things have sort of slipped into a little bit of discord here. You've got, uh, within the book, how many people have actually read Bloodline? So we as should a, all go read it. It's awesome. good book. We may give, I don't know if we have copies to give away, maybe. Yeah, stay in your seats at the end. So uh, the basic concept is the, you know, 24 years after Return of the Jedi, you've got sort of a division that's bubbling in the, the Senate, where you've got sort of two factions that have uh, developed, the centrists and the populists. Star Wars is always a little on, on the nose about, uh, you know, politics, but the centrists, as the name implies, want a central, a, a more powerful central seat of government, uh, a, a figurehead sort of in the vein of the emperor, but more, uh, you know, diplomatic, democratic in the sense. Somebody who's elected. The populists want to divide up power. I... Uh, what are you guys' thoughts? I, as, you, as you read that, uh, you know, obviously it doesn't get uh, too in the weeds, but what were your thoughts as you were reading it? It, re- it very much reminds me of kind of the way Congress is right now and the, 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 in, the ima- incredible amount of, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, gridlock, thank you, yeah. um, that's going on right now. And at the same time, there are people in Congress who, despite the fact that may be on the other side of the aisle, will work with each other. And, you know, so th- those ones who work with each other and compromise, they can they, they manage to get stuff done. If they stick to one one ideology or the other and, and refuse to compromise, you, they don't get anything done. And you, you'll see that, like, with... You'll see it in the book. When you read it, there's uh, Ransom Castelfo, who's on one side, Leon's on the other, and they start to work very well with each other for a time. And... I don't want to spoil the book, but there's a really good point yeah. at, in the book that's amazing that tends to happen every once in a while in Congress, and that turns out to be bad. I um, actually had a difficult time getting into Bloodlines, and the only reason I pressed is because I really, really enjoyed Claudia Gray's first book that she did, and I really like her writing style. I really like her character development. It was such a really... Um, well-written book I just had a hard time with it because I feel like I just lived this for three years and just escaped (laughs) and she it's like she was hiding in my closet at work and like taking and going on every trip with me that I did with members of congress and like (laughs) it was crazy I was like she has nailed it absolutely nailed it and I read star wars to escape not to have to go through this again um yeah I I really can't I could I could spend a very long time talking about how she perfectly captured stuff, but he nailed it, and I know we're running short on time, and you want to open stuff up to, to them, so I'm just going to leave it at she did a she really remarkable did. job. Yeah, I, I, want, I do the same thing. I, I want to like go home and not have to think about the same thing, and I'm, I'm reading my job here. This yeah. is a novel. Yeah. It's I mean, really it, good. Yeah, it's a great novel. On, on a separate level, I mean, it can be – so you've got a very complex, you know, political environment here in the, the galaxy that I don't think is, is has ever been fully explored. Um, I won't talk about the taxation of trade routes, don't worry. <laughs> well, but, I will. Uh, you know, can the, can this, uh, you know, can the galaxy or, or a significant chunk, a meaningful chunk of it, be governed uh, in any legitimate way by 
anything other than a, a very powerful central government? Or is, uh, you know, the, the populist point is, uh, are they better? Or do they make better points? Mm. I feel like I feel like we could get get into the Federalist Papers for this yeah. argument, right? <laughs> because, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I like I always I always think it's so important to recognize politically uh, central framework, and it's very different than uh, centralized power, which is sort of that's when you think of the 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 Sithly ambition. Uh, but I think that functionally, it, with any political system, you have to have at least some kind of central uh, framework to function. I, have they in this book? I mean, I, you know, is it uh, is the real danger that they've just forgotten what uh, what the struggle was under the empire? It, it almost seems, in some ways, in this book, that people are looking through rose-colored glasses at the past. Of course, they've forgotten. I mean, we have <laughs> my young Marines. Now we did this last deployment, and I I realized I was the dead OIC on it, and we just got back a, a few months ago. Dead OIC. Uh, sorry, detached the detachment commander. Um, and, you know, I realized when I was out there, my executive officer, my operations officer, and my senior enlisted advisor and my senior maintainer were the only other people who'd gone to Iraq or Afghanistan, who'd done deployments there. Every other Marine um, on my deployment, every one of my Marines were young, had never been, um, and they just didn't understand. Yeah. And And which tells me that all their peers, all their generation, aside from people who have a, a great rabid knowledge for history. I mean, that didn't happen to me. We've already moved past it. I, I have young PFCs who have no memory of September 11th because they just, they were either two years old or, or you know, they just, it What's the average age right now? Uh, average age of a Marine is 20 years old. Yeah. So. Babies. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was on a flight a couple months ago and I realized yeah. even with my co-pilot, so this is somebody who's gone to college, gone through flight school, everything, even with my co-pilot, not a single person on the flight had been born in the 80s. And when I said that, they're like, but ma'am, you, I was like, no. <laughs> no one on this flight was born in the 80s. <laughs> so what I'm saying is like, and to me, this is very real. This, this, just, this just happened. I mean, you know, to me, I just went to Iraq and Afghanistan. And then I think about it. Okay, no, really, I haven't. And it's already, I mean, it's in the past. It's forgotten. We've moved on. I've got the same problem. with. I, I'm an editor, so a lot of people, the new people who are starting, that I'm teaching people how to write, were born in, you know, in the 90s. And, it's, and I think... Sorry. How many 90s babies we got out sorry. there? You know, they're 21, 22, yeah. 20 years old. In the, in the 80s, Star Wars world, we babies? call you guys shinies. 80s babies? Wow. 70s babies? Who was actually alive for Star Wars? Yeah. Okay, the well, first one. Yeah, Don't go any further. Yourself. It's dangerous territory. Okay. <laughs> right. So yeah. that, I think, right there. I mean, yeah. No, and, and I think it's uh, that was an amazing parallel for me and, and something that, you know, is a small snippet in the book, but it's something that Leia struggles with. So she's constantly fighting this battle both Very with real. military forces who uh, you 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 know let 24 years elapse and all of that combat experience with very very few exceptions has all washed Gone. out of the way like old geel akbar is like you know crusting around and uh, and that's about it you know there's not a there's not a lot of other experience there uh, you got you got folks like uh tem and wexley who don't know the empire um and senators who don't know what it was to fight for what they have yeah. and they instead look back on the empire as this great entity that hey things were working pretty well under them except for that Sith Lord. but actually that's not necessarily a bad thing 
because if you think about it, they're coming in with fresh eyes. They're not coming in with these horrible, nasty grudges. And so when you do have people who come from these backgrounds, you know, they're not going to go in there with this, well, I fought against you and therefore we can never be friends. You know, they're coming in fresh. Yes. And hopefully they do pay attention to the fact that, hey, this horrible, nasty Sith Lord who kind of was ruling everything, that was bad. So this is what we can learn from it. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't some amount of good there as well that we can take and learn from it because they don't have that emotional tie to it. So they're able, it's actually a good thing in a lot of ways. It helps people move on. Yeah, Leah actually, Leah actually has a congressional a congressional aide, if you want to call her, who's much younger, yeah. who doesn't get what she was fighting for, and you'll find out in the book. You see her at the in Hosian Prime looking up um, to her doom. It's like, yeah. oh, I know. I know. But she, she goes she goes through her own little character arc as well, which is really interesting. It's the pretty lights. So we've got about fifteen minutes left, and I want if you've got comments or, or questions, I want at this point if you guys can line up. Uh, so we can use the mic so that everybody can hear. Yes. Um, and, abs- and as a quick note, um, really to make this interactive, uh, I think it's important. That, uh, let's keep the questions not to many, many parts because I'm sure so many people want to participate. And if you have to, have just jump back through and we'll cycle question. through fast. Yeah, yeah. Just hop to the end of the line if you've got a multi-part. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to the discussion about the post-Return of the Jedi era. Um, I don't want to spoil life debt too much, but I have a friend who is a huge fan of the Empire. And he ended up hating the First Order because he does not believe it is a legitimate heir to the Empire, for lack of a better term. Because you have Ray Sloan, who is the leader of the military forces, trying to come to some sort of agreement, maybe, um, and end up, you know, beating the New Republic. Then you have this other secretive figure who is kind of you see the seeds of the First Order, that they're going to slip away and build this in secret and not be the actual Imperial remnant that we knew from Legends. So I was just wondering if you had thoughts or opinions about that, if you had. I think Henry Gilroy probably would say stay tuned because you know, <laughs> we've got Empire Zen coming up and that I'm so waiting to see, read what he has with that and where Ray Sloan, what happens to her because we're, you know, we don't see her anywhere else. Yeah, I'm not done. I'm only about two-thirds of the way through the, the most recent book, so I, I feel like I can't say anything yet intelligently. I, I think the, the, the dynamic, so in, in some of these books, you've seen the divergent views in, in how surviving members of the Empire think that they should go, and, and you've got all, all opinions represented. You've got, hey, let's strike a middle ground, regroup, uh, get on the defensive. You've got Another party that just wants to go in and attack with everything. Like, hey, we've got a Super Star Destroyer. Let's throw that at him because that can't get defeated. And then you've got uh, other, you know, <laughs> others who are like, let's embrace the dark side again. And, uh, you know, it's it's very fascinating to see that. play. It, it hadn't played out fully yet. But uh, to see that explored in the Star Wars universe in a you know unofficial way now has been very, very cool. All right, before you say something, ladies and gentlemen, uh, ROTC buddy of mine, Bailey Sent. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, the brief, I have a brief question for you. What year were you born, and how old were you during 9-11? Uh, 1994, so that would be 5, 6. Mm, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Just to illustrate the point. Sorry, go ahead. Thank you for your service. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you Thank you for yours, man. Um, I, I, I had a question. I heard the, the Resistance characterized as a paramilitary organization, and I was wondering uh, if perhaps it's more of an intelligence agency because the Imperials had 
the you know the Imperial Security Bureau or whatever it was called, the Imperial Intelligence Agency, and uh, I, I've never heard anything about the New Republic having anything to that equivalent. So uh, when, they've definitely got well, they definitely got intel. Well, I'm sure yeah, they have. Yeah. They have it. Where there are Bothans. Is it coming? Is it coming from the resistance? So, Many of there's them. a lot of them. <laughs> so, so, I thought they're dead. Aren't they all dead? Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely, I think the resistance definitely is a, is intel, you know, kind of an intelligence agency on its own. Like I said, that's, that's why I qualified them as kind of an OGA, only they're not a government agency. But I would also definitely say they're paramilitary because they're armed quite heavily. I mean, I don't know other just random intelligence agencies out in the world that have armaments of that type. Well, none have that type, but you know what I mean. Uh, like a, something that was equitable. X-wings. Um, that we wouldn't consider a paramilitary organization or a drug cartel, you know? And I don't think they're dealing with spice here, so. <laughs> I don't know, that, that's just my I thoughts. mean, it's better than taxation of trade routes. <laughs> yeah, you gotta that's wonder, you gotta think part. That they have to, to Relax, we'll get there. You gotta assume that some, at least some folks in the New, New Republic are still maybe on the side helping them with maybe intel Absolutely. or whatever. Just, just trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The door's swinging both ways. Yeah. yeah. It's a back door. Uh, hello. In the post-Jedi age, uh, I was reading through the legends, and it seems like that the Empire remnants was really letting just the, the New Republic run away with the narrative, and they have a propaganda wing, so why, why don't we see any yeah. counter for that? Why can't they Sia? get the word out? Republic style? <laughs> I think it... I think some of that boils down to the amount that look at what they have on their plate. I, I think Janine hit on it that they've got a lot going on. You know, Mon Mothma, think you know, put yourself into um, you know her boots and think about the task that she has. She has to take a galaxy that's just been you know blown apart, is still at war in the most literal sense, and do all of these other things. And you know. That may that has to fall somewhere in the line of priorities, and at, at some point you've got to use your use your resources economically. So, well, sir, good evening. Uh, hi. How you doing? So, set up a little straight. Talking to your mic. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you started the the panel discussing what the uh, giant new Death Star planet killer awesome thing may be. My question is. As a facet of a way to make the New Republic fight itself and deciding who to fund or not fund and just cause chaos where you have something you know you may sacrifice but to cause problems in who they fund and who they fight and why, um, do you think it may have just been a huge propaganda piece to cause distress in a government, a standing government? And uh, your thoughts? I think that part of the reason they were very careful about keeping Starkiller Base a secret is because had there been any inkling whatsoever at all about it, they know that the Republic would have mobilized against them. And I, th yeah. I think to your point exactly there that that's, that's why. They, and that's, again, why they had to be really careful about giving legitimacy to the yeah. First Order. Until they were ready to reveal it. And like that's when you're talking about that's a multi-planet billboard. So it's, it's, it's very... It's, it's very I think calculated in the way they did it. Yeah, and I, you know, you think about it like what's what's going to trigger a response? A star destroyer here, a Tie Fighter squadron there, a little skirmish, or a planet-killing super laser built into 
another planet that sucks the energy of a star. Do you think they, <laughs> do you think they did potato, it potato, potato. Do you think they would have done it more as a facet to give credit to the First Order and have someone to fight, or to sit back and watch them fight amongst themselves? Stay tuned. For <laughs> yeah. I, I, I genuinely think it's it's that uh, you know that spark. It's the catalyst that's going to cause uh, you know the chaos that they need to, to sweep in with whatever whatever resources militarily they have and establish themselves as not just the military the biggest military power on the block now, but also the force the political force that can reunify the galaxy in a meaningful way and and sort of answer problems. I mean, let. Let's go there. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm probably going to offend somebody here, but let's look at the fact that, you know, September 11th, what happened? You know, we had forces, terrorist forces, that we pretty much mostly ignored, kind of a little bit. A few little attacks here and there had been done. There had been a previous attack on the Twin Towers. But then on September 11th, we have three, no kidding, attacks. Both towers come down. The Pentagon gets attacked, and we had a fourth potential. And what did that do? That definitely unified everybody for a little bit of time. Unified, I mean, we've got our NATO allies, and we went into a very long, very entrenched two wars, and that's a whole other political discussion. Um, but look at the kind of look at the parallels there. So I'm again very interested to see, particularly if this is picking up right at the end of Episode Seven, how things are going to be for the New Republic. Oh yeah, it's it's exactly as Janine says from a strategic perspective but also from a propaganda perspective uh and this kind of goes back to the rose-colored glasses thing uh we human beings are very emotional creatures and politicians and governments and militaries know this so it's it's very easy to see uh how parties and politicians and governments can utilize fear to drive action so if i were the first order i wouldn't want to do anything that would cause the Republic and the Resistance to work together more or to unify them in a way that would make them stronger. Uh, so you, you would see... Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. I'd definitely be spinning Starkiller Base's destruction as, as a terrorist act by the, the, the New Republic. Yeah. I mean, to, to get my allies to work with me even more, that's, that's a perfect ploy that they could do, that we see done now, you know, here. So. Yeah, speaking of someone who's on Capitol Hill on 9-11... And I'm walking through the media room, and out there's a TV with the Twin Towers burning. And out the window, I can see the Pentagon burning. And my office is a 15-minute walk away from the Pentagon. Wow. Within, fifth, with, within a week, Congress had, had appropriated, I forget how many billions of dollars to, to the military to basically yeah. start a war. So think of this in Star, in Star Wars terms. What, the, what will the New Republic do after this? I'd say they'd start, they're going to start ramping up. As a certain general, they might have to look to. All yeah. right, so we are at the end of our time. We're gonna we're about to transition to rapid fire comment mode. So, yes. You know, so no one else up. at the end of that line. Yeah. <laughs> so this is it. Let's and do it. Let's do it. Keep your seats because we're we and are gonna we do promise to be brief too. A giveaway. State this very quickly. The uh, Visual Dictionary says that Osmium Prime was just was a was a rotating capital in the New Republic. Mm-hmm. That was just one of them. There's probably still stuff because of institutional. Um, History is still on Coruscant, by the way, of course. Uh, so even with the destruction of Hosnian Prime, there may still actually be a lot of institution that's left where they may be, the New Republic may be able to transition fairly really quickly to some other place. Yes. It's been so yeah. long since the, uh, the end of uh, Movie 6, it might have already had a different capital sometime before. So that may not be the end of the entire government, basically. Bring it back. Absolutely. That's true. Yeah. Good point. Back to the big C, Coruscant's capital. <laughs> yeah.
mine was an extension on that. Basically, is the New Republic the UN or is it the EU? So is it just a loose uh, UN? I mean, uh, the, to use Marvel, you know, Black Panther's dad gets assassinated. Black Panther just takes over his job as ambassador. All those people blew up on Hosmi and Prime. Little Martha clone there. But it doesn't mean Martha Clone 2 could could come right the next week. So is it the UN or is it the EU? And, of course, the new order would be Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I was waiting for the Brexit. <laughs> we made it there. Yeah. Reference. Thank you, Ray. Do you believe following the event or following the destruction of Starfleet? Oh, yeah, please. Uh, right into the mic so everyone can hear. Appreciate Just it. Appreciate it. it there we go. Thanks. Do you believe following the destruction of Starkiller Base, the first order is in a position of power or retreat? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, I'm going to... S- they're going to spin it. I'm going to say retreat. Power. They're going to spin oh. it that they're in power. Yeah. Yeah. They're I'm absolutely going to spin it that it's a tactical relocation. But all you need to know is look look to what happened at the end of the movie when the when the Imperial officers, like, or I should say the First Order officers, even Hux is gone. <laughs> He's like, yeah. darn it. It doesn't matter, though. What matters is what everybody who wasn't there, it's and it's very few people who survive it, are going to believe. It's perception. It's, it's PR. Yeah. 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 So from my understanding from what little I've read about how, where Force Order comes from, it really sounds like there's essentially three powers in play. You still have the old, you have the New Republic, the Empire is still an actual government, and then you have New Order, which is kind of a combination of extremists of the Empire and breakaways from the New Republic, which all comes down to, this is actually the first time Star Wars gives us a non-state conflict, where you essentially have the resistance, which has ties to the New Republic as far as equipment goes, but it's still acting independently, and New Order just be doing its own thing. It's a ball of knots. Mm. Yep. So yeah. who knows, maybe exactly. the Empire will come to the aid of the New Republic. Ooh. That would be a Plot really, twist. really mm. interesting, like, that I'd would be awesome. I'd love to I would see that I would actually, yeah, I would if it's love done to well that. and done right, I yeah. would nice shirt, be really sir, interested by in the seeing way. that. Oh, yeah. thanks. I would like to, you know, write that. So <laughs> go read ahead, it. Uh, mm. Lucasfilm. In fact, everybody put tweet me, that out on. right now. Me for novelization of episode eight. I yeah. promise to do a great job. I guess um, I kind of had a little bit of a comment, but kind of a question as well. Um, since at the end, you see with both the First Order and the um, New Republic, they both kind of had this big loss. With the New Republic, it's a much bigger loss than the First Order. But seeing that um, the First Order has this chance to use both propaganda and military action with their fleet and their um, other ground forces, what kind of s- steps do you think the First Order would take, um, either militarily or politically, to get either um, various systems of the New Republic to turn to their side, or if need be, use military forces to kind of gain a stronger foothold, whether it's through invasion or just other methods? I don't Oh, go ahead. I, I don't know. All, all that this makes me think of is I want like a Star Wars version of civilization. Like that would be <laughs> the best thing ever. I guess it depends on what the New Order has to offer. And w- not just militarily, but those planets, what, you know, what resources they have, what they can trade, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, it, it's literally that game. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what trade, barter, that kind of thing. All right, thanks. Hey, thanks. So check the back of your seat. If you don't have a seat, grab one. Or I think Get there's there. some numbers along the back. We're going to do rapid fire. To everybody who's giveaways. shy in the back, standing up, we see you. Find a seat. Find a seat. Yeah. All right. Is there first any one up. Seat, sit them. There we 47, go. 47. Four seven. Just raise your hand. Four seven. There he is. 